you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, the year was 1998. I was 24 years old, pastoring my very first church out of college, staring down the barrel of my very first funeral coming at me. In college, we did learn about officiating funerals, but nothing prepares you for your very first one, especially when it involved details like this one did. Uh, A young teenage girl in our church, along with her boyfriend, had become pregnant. Sadly, many Christian churches don't respond well to these situations, but thankfully, our little church and and her family, man, we rallied around her, we embraced her and supported her and offered all of our, our help to them that we could, and I have to believe it was partly due to that support system that they decided to keep the child as their own. Everything was progressing as normal and and healthy as they approached the due date, but something along the way went horribly wrong. I'll never forget the phone call we received informing us that the, the mom and child were in the hospital. The baby had been born, but would most likely not survive. Sabrina, my wife and I, we rushed to the hospital to see them. Man, we, we, we pleaded with God, bold prayers on behalf of this child that was, was now hooked up to all sorts of machines and in an incubator trying to keep them alive. The pain, the grief, the, the fear in that hospital room was, was unbearable. Baby lived for a few hours, maybe a day at most, and then passed away. The family immediately asked me, their pastor, to do their funeral, and I was overwhelmed. What in the world would I say? Like, how could I possibly talk about God? Or the fact that God is good when this horrible thing had taken place? Why did this happen? How could God let this little precious child suffer and die? In in that moment and many others since then, I've had so many questions and doubts. Right here at, at Element Church, even this year, I've had my faith tested with questions and doubts about God, when, when spouses or, or parents die far too young, when children pass away in tragic circumstances, when cancer and disease ravage seemingly healthy bodies. Like some of our own church family, like you've dealt with those things this year or you're dealing with them even right now over and over and over again, evil, pain, and suffering. And that's just the physical health part of our world. I've not even mentioned things like sex trafficking, rape, abuse, racial injustice, any number of evils that exist in, those wor- in this world. Those stories, they're all too familiar to our human existence. Like, what do we do with that? I often find myself asking, God, where are you in all of this? Why is this happening? How could you let this go on. You ever have questions like that? You ever experience doubt? If so, you are not alone because I'm right there with you. And I hope just me saying that will offer some encouragement to someone today. 
And if you don't know who I am, it might actually surprise you that I'm the one saying it because my name's Jeff Manis and I am the lead pastor here at Element. But even as a pastor, I too have questions and doubts about what we go through in life. So no matter where you're joining us from today, whether you're right here in the auditorium or joining us on video or online somewhere, and no matter your questions and doubts, I am honored that you've chosen to engage with us today. To all of you who are joining us live today, super excited. We are live on YouTube and on the Church Online platform today. Welcome to you as well. Our vision, we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And that's true whether you're here in person or joining us online somewhere. And one of the things we've been praying through and working on as a staff the last several of weeks is a better way to live out our vision for people people who aren't comfortable or able to attend in person yet, or folks who are kind of joining us even from different communities. We're calling it Church at Home. So if you're out there online or even if you're right here in the room and you are more comfortable attending an in-person gathering that's in a smaller setting, we want to know about that because we want to help better engage those who can't be here. If you're interested interested in helping to lead or host a church at home gathering or just even in attending one, you can go to our website, elementchurch.life slash church at home or scroll to the very bottom of our, of our homepage and click the church at home link. And from there, you can fill out a very, very simple interest form. And by filling out that form, it does not commit you to anything except receiving some more information that I don't have time to go into uh, here in, in the service. So if that's you, especially if you're one of our online family, you're connecting because you're not able to attend or comfortable yet, we get it. Uh, or if you're watching from another community and you want to know more information, please reach out to us church at home. We want to get you the information to see if there's any interest out there in pursuing this further. We're in week number five of a sermon series we've titled, Why I Struggle to Believe in God, because sometimes it's really, really hard. And it is hard, isn't it? We started the series uh, answering the question, how can, you, how can you believe in God when you can't prove he exists? The last three Sundays, Pastor Fred and Pastor Brendan have done an incredible job answering some very difficult questions about the Bible and, and what the Bible teaches. If you've missed any of those sermons uh, or, or any of our series, you can get caught up uh, on our website, YouTube page, or on our podcast. And, and I'm acknowledging from the top here, I know Brendan and Fred would agree, that even if we could prove God exists, which we can't, and even if we could prove that the Bible is 100% reliable and and is fully trustworthy as the word of God himself, we we can't prove that. The evidence might point in, in God's direction, but we can't prove it. But even if we could prove those things, we still have to deal with this one question. It might be the most common question and most common critique of Christianity today. And it's this, if God is real, how could he allow so much evil, pain, and suffering? If he's real, how could he allow so much evil, pain, and suffering? It's a great question, isn't it? It's one we all have to to wrestle with. Like even those of us who already believe, we can't ignore questions like this. We've got to have an answer in defense of our faith. And for some of you, this is the very reason why you don't believe in God. 
because of all the evil pain and suffering. Or maybe you believe he exists, but you're never going to put your faith in him if he allows all these things to happen. And if that's the way you feel, man, we love you. We love it that you are here. This is a safe place for you to have and ask those questions and doubts. We want to have you navigate that here. We would love to walk with you through it. Even if you never believe what we do, man, we love it that you are here. And I would just echo this again. You are not alone if you feel that way. You're not alone. The reality is, though, when we ask the question, how could God allow so much evil, pain, and suffering, I think we're asking the wrong question. Like, there is no answer that will satisfy or remove the pain of suffering. No answer will suffice. Suffering still hurts, even if there is an absolute answer. So that's not going to be my focus today. Uh, Some of the books that we recommend in the Element Store that pertain to this series, they do a much better job than I could explaining in detail some of the Christian answers to the why and how does God allow this. And while I do have my own thoughts and opinions as to why and how God allows these things to happen, I don't feel like it's the best use of my time today to just focus on that. We only have enough time to scratch literally the surface of every one of these subjects. So the the question I want to focus on and answer will be our big question for today, and it's this. What are my options to deal with evil, pain, and suffering? What are my options to deal with it? Because the reality is, I don't know if you've noticed, it's not going away. Like evil, pain, and suffering will always exist until Christ returns, according to our faith, to redeem the world and create a new heaven, new earth, where his believers will live and and reign with him. So I've got to have some options to deal with it. What are they? They're just a part of of, of life. So I'm acknowledging to you that I'm going to oversimplify some of this for the sake of time. This is far more complex than what I'm making it. So please don't accuse me of oversimplifying it. I'm accusing myself first, okay? I'm oversimplifying these these answers. But we're going to take some time here to look at some of the major religions in the world and what their response is to evil, pain, and suffering. And even though I'm oversimplifying this, these are the overarching themes to how the world's major religions and philosophies answer the question or give an option to deal with evil, pain, and suffering, starting with atheism. Atheism is an option. You can choose to not believe there is a God. Atheism says evil, pain, and suffering are just proof that God doesn't exist. That's an option. The the problem with this faith position, and it is a faith position, by the way, uh, don't forget that it requires faith to not believe there is God, just like there is faith to believe in God. So you can't say you're not a person of faith. You are a person of faith. Your faith is just in there is no God instead of your faith being in God. So here's the problem with the atheistic faith position. If there is no God, we still suffer. Suffering still exists. It just exists outside of any meaning and no hope for something better on the other side. Like, do do you realize that, that if there is no God, then heaven and the afterlife cannot be real? 
Because the only way for there to be a heaven and an afterlife is if someone or something created it, hence God. Atheism, while being antagonistic toward the idea of God, is actually indifferent towards suffering and offers no meaning or hope while we experience it. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, Confronting Christianity, which is available at the Element Store, she said this, and it's profound. From an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope of a better end to the story, there is no ultimate story. There is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Wow. So what about New Age theology? Well, New Age theology offers an option. They say, instead of God doesn't exist, evil and suffering don't exist. The negative events or moral evils, they are not real. They are an illusion that we need to escape. That's New Age theology. It's an option. But here's why I cannot ever buy into that option. Can you imagine me telling that theology to the young mom and boyfriend who lost their child? Or anyone who's suffering for that matter, that, hey, your suffering's not real. It's an illusion that we're all living in. That's hopeless. Hinduism calls it karma. That karma is this impersonal force of justice that operates just like the laws of physics. We can't stop it. Causing good or bad things to happen based on whether a person has been good or bad in this life and in past lives. So if you believe in, in that response to suffering, then it, then it actually justifies suffering in the world. That, that you or someone else is suffering because you did something wrong in this life or in a past life to deserve it. And the only way to escape the cycle of suffering is to live a good enough life that karma pays you back for your good and not your evil. And eventually, if you live good enough, long enough, you will reach a stage of enlightenment where you are free from all evil, pain, and suffering. But again... I cannot imagine sitting down with that young mom and telling her this was all part of some cosmic force and either she or her helpless child had done something to deserve this. But don't worry, as long as you live good enough long enough, you'll reach a stage where you don't have to experience it anymore. But until then, try really, really hard cannot imagine that buddhism says life itself is suffering that the only means of escape is to break the ties of attachment that bind us to life which is why in many buddhist circles many buddhist people you will notice and know that they they try to refrain from pursuing all desire in life because desire is suffering or leads to suffering that literally you have to break your attachment from all desires so that you'll eventually reach a place of nirvana where a person's desires and suffering are gone. So to that young mom, your desire to have your child back, you need to detach from that. 
that desire that God gave you to offer motherly love to that precious soul, you have to detach yourself from wanting that because it leads to suffering. Islam is actually the closest to Christianity in all of these. Islam says suffering is the result of sin in the world, which we, by the way, as Christians, we agree that, that all evil, pain, and suffering are rooted in sin. Not, not like one specific sin or a sin that you committed that God's paying you back for, but sin in general, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when God, in his love, gave humanity free will, Adam and Eve broke God's command, and, and sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it broke everything. Everything is broken. Because of, of sin. So, so we agree that suffering, its, it's result, or it, its foundation, its, its starting point was original sin. Then we agree with this next statement too, somewhat. It teaches the endurance of suffering with hope and faith in Allah, which is the, the Muslim God. So we, we believe we should endure suffering with hope in creator God who came as Jesus and died in our place. So it's similar, but obviously different than here's where we now vastly divide the faithful are not counseled to resist suffering or to ask why instead they accept it as god's will and live through it with faith that god never asks more of them than they can endure as i said strikingly similar similar to christianity but still falls far short of what i believe christianity offers to this difficult question I personally, and some, there are some Christians who would disagree with me, I personally do not believe that suffering is God's will. I don't believe that God, God wills or causes suffering to happen. I do think God allows it, and God can use it, but he does not cause it. And by the way, as Christians, I hear this all the time from Christians, and it is not true. We need to eliminate this from our vocabulary. Nowhere, nowhere does God promise us that he will never give us more than we can endure. That's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, if God never gave us more than we could endure, why would we need God? It's actually often in our suffering that we find ourselves closest to the presence of Jesus in our life, that we draw near to him in our time of need. So it's often in our need that we come to God. God never said he wouldn't give us more than we can endure. And we should stop saying that because it's not true. It's actually more of a Muslim theology. And again, how, I want to be careful. I said this in first service and didn't clarify. I want to be careful in using this word, but I'm going to use it because it's how I feel. How sadistic would it be for me as a pastor to sit down with that teenage mom and offer her solace by reminding her it was God's will for her child to suffer and die? That God caused it to happen. And her job is to just be faithful and not ask any questions because God would never give you more than you can endure. That's horrible pastoral advice. And I could not ever offer that. None of those options, by the way, and many others we have not looked at, none of them really offer a solution to evil, pain, and suffering. 
Not, not a viable one or one that has any hope at all. Uh, James Emery White, author of uh, Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians, he said this, if you reject Christianity because of the existence of suffering, then you need to reject every philosophy, worldview, ideology, and religion. Everyone, everyone must answer the question about why this is such a screwed up world, even atheists. And no one, no one, really has an answer. On the flip side, though, everyone, everywhere, all of humanity agrees that this world is not how it's meant to be. That this world is supposed to be good. We have this longing, this ideal of life without evil, pain, and suffering. It's universally agreed on that this world is not as it should be. Where does that come from? Enter the God of Christianity and the Christian faith. You see, for me, Christianity does not solve our questions about evil, pain, and suffering, I believe we'll always have those questions about them. So I'm not suggesting that Christianity gives any closure to, to this problem that we have, but I do believe that Christianity, out of all the world's religions and philosophies, provides the best option or the best answer to deal with evil, pain, and suffering in this life. I believe, no surprise to you, it's the one that actually offers the most hope or any hope at all. Every other religion, this is significant, every other religion is founded on certain teachers or leaders or prophets who, who taught other people about their God or their gods. Certain teachers or, or leaders that gave instructions on how to please God. How to escape this world and enter into paradise, enlightenment, nirvana, heaven, whatever it is. And yes, I'm not saying that, that we don't have our teachers and leaders too. Christianity had teachers and leaders as well, but only Christianity. It's the only religion or philosophy where its God did not send teachers. He sent himself. And it changes the game. Changes the game. The table is turned when Jesus entered humanity. Timothy Keller in his book, The Reason for God, said this, The Christian God came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering. In Jesus Christ, God experienced the greatest depths of pain. Therefore, though Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, it provides deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Anyone want to face suffering with hope and courage? I do. And I do believe that Christianity offers us the best deep resources for that. So what are my options to deal with evil, pain, and suffering. Number one is this. In Christianity, we know God loves us. In Christianity, we know God loves us. It's the anchor by which we navigate this world. 
And I know some of you might hear that and immediately respond, well, wait a minute, with all the evil, pain, and suffering in the world, how can you say that God loves us? Well, John, the best friend of Jesus, while Jesus was on the earth, he records Jesus saying this in his letter, John fifteen thirteen in the New Testament, Jesus speaking, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, which is what Jesus did. He laid down his life. And when did he lay down his life? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5, verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Not while we were good, not after we earned it, not because we deserved it, and not because we lived a good enough life that karma was paying us back, but God in the flesh through Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Then John says in 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Listen, we have to be careful that we don't equate God's love for us with how he's responding in the moment of our suffering. God's love for us is not based on what happens to me today or what will happen to me tomorrow. His love is firmly anchored in what he did for me on the cross when he entered into humanity and put on flesh and was subjected to all the evil, pain, and suffering this world offers. Yet he lived a sinless and perfect life and then he died a gruesome death by being pinned to a tree with nails in his hands and why did he do all of that to pay the price for my sin and wrongdoing the evil pain and suffering that I have caused in this life and then he offers me forgiveness and eternal life for free by putting my faith in him no other religion on the planet has a God who did that or a God who offers that his love His love is anchored in history in a moment of time where he died in my place and in yours. So what are my options? Well, in Christianity, at least I know God loves me because while I was a sinner, he died in my place. Number two, in Christianity, we know God's with us. He's with us. So many scriptures we could go to that talk about God's presence in our lives, especially in suffering. You can literally Google it and you'll find a ton. I want to focus on two that talk about Jesus. The first one, I don't, I, I mean, I know why, but we, we normally only talk about this first one at Christmas time, which by the way, good news, Christmas is nine Sundays away. Well, I didn't expect clapping. We got some Christmas people in the house. Buddy the Elf is here. Matthew 1, 23, the reason we use it at Christmas is because it's a prophecy about the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, repeats this prophecy when Christ was born. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is what? With us. Friends, it's not just true at Christmas, it's true today. 
that because Jesus entered into humanity, it was an announcement that I'm with you. I'm intimately involved in your everyday life. Then the, some of the final words of Jesus before he would ascend into heaven, Matthew 28, verse 20, he said this to his disciples, ultimately to us, and be sure of this, I am what? With you. How long? Always. <laughs> Even to the end of the age, or literally, no matter what life throws your way, I am with you. Not just beside us, but inside of us. That not only did he enter into the humanity and experience suffering as, as any human, but he enters our suffering with us as well. That the answer to our suffering is not always that God removes our problems, but that he is present with us in the midst of them. Only Christianity, only Christianity has a God who offers that promise. Only Christianity provides that as a solution or an option for us to deal with the pain and suffering we face. That he does not always take away our pain, but he is always present with us in the midst of it, intimately involved. So, so we know that God loves us. We know he's with us. And because he's with us, it leads right to the third option in Christianity. We know God helps us. He helps us. Hebrews 2 verse 18, proof that God loves coffee because he brews. Sorry, I was really bad. And now I want coffee. Hebrews 2 18 says this, since he himself, that's Jesus, since Jesus has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to what? Help us when we're being tested or go through suffering. Isaiah 41.10, probably the verse I quote the most in my preaching. Don't be afraid, God says, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up, he says, with my victorious right hand. Even the shortest verse in all the Bible, I believe, speaks to the help and intimacy Jesus offers us in our suffering. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, one of the friends of Jesus, Lazarus, had died. Jesus arrives on the scene and, and sees all of the people mourning the loss of his friend. He sees the hurt, the pain, the grief. He goes out to the tomb where Lazarus was, was buried. In John eleven thirty five. three simple words say this, then Jesus wept. He wept. Those might be the most powerful words in all of the Bible when it comes to experiencing pain. Then Jesus wept. If you don't know, spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead just a few moments later. So I've often wondered, if Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why was he crying? Why was he crying? It's a great question. And friends, I believe Jesus was not crying for them. I think he was crying with them. And I believe he cries with us too. That in your pain and your suffering and your tears, Jesus, like at the tomb of Lazarus, embraces your pain with you. Rebecca McLaughlin again said this, Jesus holds us close as we lament. He weeps with us as we weep. He knows the end of the story when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. 
But this does not stop him from cleaving to us in our pain. In fact, pain is a place of special intimacy with him. We see this in our own lives. We can laugh with anyone, but we cry with those closest to us. And the bond is strongest when their suffering connects with ours. Isn't that beautiful? That's true of Jesus too. Because his suffering connects with ours. And that leads right into the last thing I want to see. I want us to see about the option of Christianity. What are my options when it comes to dealing with this? Well, in Christianity, we know God loves us. We know he's with us. We know he helps us. And lastly, number four is this. In Christianity, we know God gives us hope. Amen? Gives us hope. Again, we... We see this in the story of Lazarus. Jesus had received word that Lazarus was sick, but he delayed going to see Lazarus. By the time he arrived, Lazarus was dead. And one of, one of his sisters, one of Lazarus' sisters, Martha, asked the same question that many of us have asked before. John 11, 21 through 26. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If only you had been here. Where were you, God? Why did this happen? How could you let Lazarus die? If only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, check out her faith. I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the, at the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? It's the same question that every single one of us have to answer. Do you believe? You see, Jesus was pointing Martha and pointing all of us to a greater truth, a greater reality, and a greater hope. That by faith in him, the matchless, powerful name of Jesus, there is a life beyond this life. There is a hope even beyond our healing. Jesus was basically saying, if, if, if I had kept your brother from dying, or even if I raise him from the dead now, but Martha, you don't believe in me and you don't have a relationship with me, what will it matter? If I stopped all the suffering today, what would it matter if you don't believe in me? Last quote from Rebecca McLaughlin. She said this, from a Christian perspective, there is not only hope for a better end, there is intimacy now with the one whose resurrected hands still bear the scars of the nails that pinned him to his cross. Suffering is not an embarrassment to the Christian faith, It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our lives. Come on. You see, friends, hope is not a place that we go to. It's not a product that we receive. 
It's not even a problem-free life. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star, the creator of the universe, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the long-awaited Messiah to pay the price for the sins of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in him, even though they die, will never, ever die again. They will live forever. There's life beyond this life and a hope beyond our healing the question is do you believe do you believe the the band's coming out to lead us in a song called hope has a name it's a song that we're familiar with here at element you probably know it very well but i just want to say however you want to to engage this song you you do you do you if you just need to sit there and receive some hope from our Lord, do it. If you want to bow down and worship, do it. If you want to stand with your arms high in surrender, then do it. But there's power in this song because the song says, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And I have no idea what you're facing today. But I know there's hope. And I know that it is not just, I'm going to say this and it's, I know that there's a response back. I believe it. Not just because I'm a pastor. I believe it because it's the best option there is. Proven at a moment in history when Jesus died in our place. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can do it during this song. You can cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe you are God. You died in my place, you rose again, so I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I put my faith in you. I repent of my sinful life, and by your help, I'll follow you in a new life. I'm I'm receiving you. I'm receiving salvation. Live in my heart. I'm committing myself to follow you. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, if you're watching online and you want to put your faith in Jesus during this song, just call out to him in faith and ask for his forgiveness, and he'll live right in your heart till the end of the age, he promised us. So Lord, I pray for your hope, your hope to invade this room and every room that's watching online that we be overwhelmed by the name of Jesus. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.